Full Court Fits is The Ringer's new weekly NBA video series hosted by Big Waz, a.k.a. Wozni Lambre. Each week, we take you around the world of NBA fashion and share can't-miss style choices from your favorite players and keep you up to date on the latest news and releases in sneaker culture. Waz also talks to experts like Damian Lillard's personal stylists to give you behind-the-scenes looks at how the NBA's biggest stars choose their outfits. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer so you never miss an episode. What's up, everybody? We're back. Another week, another R2C2. What's good, bro? This is our, this is our normal time, I guess. Yeah, reg- regularly scheduled program um, with our Thursday morning release. We release every Thursday morning, and we had the bonus episode this week with Drew Robinson, which was, man, such an impactful, powerful conversation. And for anyone who's listening who has not gone and uh, listened to that episode yet, maybe you were unfamiliar with Drew, you don't know his story, Google Drew, and then listen to that podcast because it is, wow. It, that that was an amazing conversation. Just in the couple days after CR release, I've had so many people reaching out already. Yeah, no, it's, it was crazy. And it like, I mean, I think as an athlete, like especially for a baseball player, it, it took me back to some places that like, you know, you don't want to revisit or even think about that you had some of these thoughts or, you know, were struggling this bad, you know, playing a game, you know, and, mm-hmm. and but it's not a game. It's your livelihood. This is work. This is a job. And it's, and it's super, it's, the most stress that I've ever, you know, been under in my life. And, um, you know, to hear him talk about, you know, not being able to deal with it and, you know, almost ultimately taking his life is incredibly hard to, for me to sit there and listen to as a player and, and know what he's going through and know those emotions and know those feelings. Like that was, that was hard, man. And, and, you know, I had to apologize to him during the pod because, I didn't want to seem, you know, not engaged. I just didn't want to be crying on the podcast. You know what I mean? Because there were times where I was just so choked up and where I couldn't even get a question out. There were a bunch of things that I want to ask and follow up with them with, uh, on, but, you know, I just wanted to let him talk and tell his story and, and hopefully it can help somebody. But, man, what an incredibly impactful human, you know, and, and for us to have a chance to have him on the podcast, um, it, was, it was amazing. It was just a great experience, I think you know, for me to, to be able to, to, you know, have a chance to, to hear his story and, and, and be that intimate and that close with him. That was cool. Yeah, man. It was amazing. And just for a little, you know, a, a little more detail for our audience who isn't familiar, Drew survived a suicide attempt last year um, and has made it part of his mission to share his story and be very detailed with it to try and help uh, end the stigma around mental health, suicidal thoughts, depression, and he was just, he was incredible. He, it was amazing how open and honest he was. Uh, certainly there are, you know, certain aspects of the conversation that no doubt could be difficult to hear. Um, and I'm sure triggering for, for some people, uh, but a really powerful conversation with Drew and just admire him so much. Uh, so if you haven't heard that episode, definitely go back and listen to it. Today, we're going to get to talk to Walker Bueller. Really looking forward to this. The favorite right now to win the NL Cy Young now that Jacob DeGrom is injured. Uh, but before we get to Walker, see, we always begin our Thursday episodes with 
slinging heat, and there has been a lot going on. So I am so curious where you're taking us today. No, nah, it's crazy. I want to start the first. It's crazy because it's like, you know, the, the return of sports for me. <laughs> yeah. Like everything is back cracking. You know what I'm saying? Like we had the NBA draft, NFL starting. We're, we're getting down to the good part of the baseball season where, you know, the pennant races are starting to matter. But I want to start the first thing and heat off with the Giants, bro. Your, your squad. Got the whole fucking team fighting, cuz. You got Daniel Jones at the bottom of the pile. Like, what the fuck's going on? Hey, it's it's I think it could be a good thing, you know what I'm saying, for you know, fights during training camp, a few, you know, here and there. But like you had the whole fucking squad out there though. Like, there's some bad blood in that locker room, cuz y'all gotta get some shit figured out, cuz. Oh my gosh. So will you tell me as a player, how often are there I'll ask you twofold. How often are there physical altercations in a clubhouse or locker room? And how often are there, you know, elevated volume disagreements? Yeah, so in a, in a baseball locker room, in a baseball clubhouse, there are way more elevated disagreements than there are physical. Like I maybe, I maybe ever saw in my 19 years, man, less than a handful of fights for teammates. You know what I'm saying? Um, but a, a thousand arguments, whether it was over cards or fucking the game or whatever, a thousand of those, never to the point where it got the blows. Only a few times can I remember, maybe like two or three times that I can remember off the top of my head where I seen teammates fight. But um, no, it was always a bunch of arguments. But in football, where you're physically, you know, fighting and going up against each other every play, it's more likely for you to put hands on each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I always have said... When people would react to players celebrating big catches or, you know, big hits or and people be like, oh, just go back to the huddle, whatever. I'd be like, do you know what it's like to be like at the peak of competition in something that like you're literally totally and completely physically submerged? Like every bone in your body, every shred of emotion you have is engaged in this moment and you do something that like you just want to let out this emotion like it, it's not it's not easy to like you know s smoke Shut someone behind the line of scrimmage and then just you know calmly trot back to the huddle you know like, <laughs> like that's like that's defying <laughs> the, the human physical experience uh so yeah it, it's interesting though man because obviously joe judge the giants head coach who i think did a very nice job in his first year obviously there were aspects of that that he was not happy about because he disciplined the team afterwards. And it's probably a, you know, balance. So often what I lament in uh, today's media culture, and we've talked about it, is the lack of nuance. You know, how two things can be true. Like, it can be true that some of that stuff is good for your team and necessary and to be expected. Absolutely. It can it can also be true that there's a point where it goes too far and it's a problem and maybe is unearthing other issues. And that might have been one that looked like uh, it went a little too far. Yeah, and I, I've, I've yet to see a professional team do up-downs in the middle of a fucking practice, guys. <laughs> like, that's some shit that we did. It, like, well, I didn't play Pop Warner because I was too fat, but that was some shit we did in high school. Like, you so get like, to Remember fight. the Titans stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. like, what are, what are we doing, guys? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. But it's like, you know, the first little bit of football news. So it's, it's good to, to be back into, it's like a sports fan's, you know, uh, dream. The yeah. Be, the beginning of the football season, the end of the, of the um, 
the baseball season, the beginning of basketball season, when when everybody's playing, it's perfect. And soccer starting back up. So this is like this is this is awesome time. Yeah, yeah. When we when you get into like late summer, rolling into fall, and then you know the NBA is going to be back on schedule this year as well. Starting yeah. mid October, college football. Yeah, it's a lot going on, man. I feel I feel bad for baseball because college football, they like Labor Day used to be like a baseball holiday where you get a bunch of games. They got college football scheduling football games on Labor Day now, guys. Like, I, just they completely, come completely <laughs> took over the weekend from baseball now. Oh, it's like man. crazy. I know. I know. All right, see, so what's your second sling and heat? My second sling and heat is just discussion about NBA free agency and seeing all these guys moving. Um, I'm excited for Kyle Lowry getting a chance to go to Miami. I think Miami's going to be really good now with Oladipo. Yep. You know, bam, you got Jimmy. I mean, that team is going to be exciting to watch, man. Like, that's, you know, and, and just seeing some of the moves. Um, it's crazy, though. Like, you know, it's supposed to be no tampering and none of this shit. And then deals get hammered out in 26 seconds, bro. Yeah. 25 <laughs> seconds. CP3 signs a four-year deal for $120 million. Like, what the fuck? How does this shit happen in 10 seconds, guys? But there's no tampering? Get the fuck out of here. It's crazy. But I love it, though. <laughs> you know what, man? You're so right. So, somebody said that to me yesterday. I forget who it was. Oh, I think it was, I, was, I was doing Yankee Studio, and I was with Jack Curry. And Jack was like, hold on a second. It, it hits 6 p.m., and you have, you have 50 deals in, in, in three minutes? Like, yeah, and then I yeah. see people like making fun of Dennis Schroeder. It's like the first day of, of free agency. Like, yeah. just because everybody else is tampering and shit, like, Maybe this guy's agent was like on vacation. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. maybe he's doing sticking to a regular timeline. Like, everybody was on Dennis Schroeder because he hadn't signed a contract yet. But, like, it's literally been eight hours of free agency, guys. Like, it's crazy. It's nuts, man. I had that adrenaline rush the other night, too, where, like, I, a lot of times I won't leave the phone near me when I go to bed. I just think it helps with my sleep. I don't feel tempted to, like, check the phone if I get up in the middle of the night or whatever. And I had that, like, sleep where... I really wanted to check the phone, like I woke up for a second. <laughs> what else went on? What else went on? You're so uh, right, though. I mean, it's I. I don't mind it, and I think it's good for the sport because there's something that drives. It's kind of like w- what we've talked about with baseball. How we feel like it would be better if their free agency was a more like defined period of time yeah, that created yeah. a flurry of action rather than the like, oh, we're gonna pop a little signing here, and a month later, here's another one, and two weeks later, and you don't know. I do. I do like how. Whatever the league does, you know, in regard to that aspect of things, I like how we get this flood of action because it creates an event and the event is fun to behold. You know what? And I think baseball should even look at like the the action and attraction that they get during the trade deadline. Look how many. Yeah. I mean, just look at we did a whole podcast about it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And they had a lot of movement this year. I mean, even, you know, in years when it's not a lot of movement, you still got a lot of action and talking around the trade deadline because it comes up to like one day. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Where it's like one day. So if you if you made the the free agency maybe a week long or a 10 day long period where, you know, it creates this it creates this this traction and this action in the sport and gets the fans behind it. Um you know, I think I think you're right. I think MLB should look at that. I totally agree, though. See, hopefully, you know, I don't know what mechanisms need to be in a collective bargaining agreement in order to create that concentrated period of action. But I, I, I'm sure they exist because we see it in football and we see it in basketball. So the people who are, you know, designing and negotiating the new CBA, I think they would absolutely uh, benefit 
from creating a similar period. It's like what we talked about when we used the show analogy, right? If someone said to you like, hey, guess what? We're going to drop one episode on Thursday and then uh, another episode of this show uh, in two weeks. And then, you know, it might be a month for no, no one can get excited about it. They don't know when it's coming on, you know? And exactly. so it whereas if it's like, Hey, guess what? The whole show drops 6 PM this day. Boom. Okay. Now we create an event. So I hope baseball does that. And as far as the NBA stuff goes, man, it's been fascinating to watch. I mean, th- I think there are a few things that, that have really stood out. Um, you mentioned Miami. Miami is a team that has somehow been able to continually reload in these like incremental ways where they're constantly on the periphery of being a contender. Then all of a sudden they go to the finals two years ago, right? And I think this coming year, keeping in mind, look, last year was a quick turnaround from the finals. This year they've reloaded with Lowry as a winner. I think he's going to fit in nicely there. Miami also just does such a wonderful job with its culture and development. You continue to have some developing talents like a Tyler Hero, like a Duncan Robinson, Precious Achua, who does some things where you could see him being a, a increasingly impactful player, especially you know as the way Miami developed guys. Adebayo, who's you know he got you know, his, a beast, bro. He, he got his flaws got you know exploited in that series against Milwaukee, but he's a beast. Both he's a ends beast. of the floor. Jimmy, um, and then who else? Oladipo, Oladipo is back with them. You, yep. you add Oladipo into that now with, you know, the experience that he's had and, and being able to go through a couple of different organizations. But that that guy is an animal, bro. Like, and, and he can create off the dribble like any like like nobody's business. So you add him into the mix with all of that that you, that you just named, and that's a winning fucking franchise right now. And P.J. Tucker and, and Markeith Morris. So they got some nasty in there, too, you yeah. know, and, and some defensive, you know, uh, attitude and prowess. I mean, I, I agree. I think they, they reloaded for for Brooklyn, cuz. Yeah, you're right. They did because they, they, they saw what Tucker could do they against. They constructed yeah. that roster for yeah. Brooklyn, cuz. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now that you just named those those last two. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, on the net side of things. Obviously, when you're when you have the the stars that you have already locked in financially and also just you know talent wise, you're just trying to do things on the margins. And I think them getting back Blake Griffin, key, uh, them getting back Bruce Brown, I, I think a little unexpected and was big. And then to me, it, it's not going to get the same fanfare as some of these other moves. But Patty Mills is a massive, massive signing for this team because. You could play him at the one or the two. The guy is, is shoots the lights out from three. He has incredible big game experience, both at the NBA level and the international level. This is a dude who, you know, has led Australia in scoring. We're about to see him go up against, you know, US and US. KD. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he was the perfect fit for this Brooklyn team as they try and just tweak, you know, what they hope is a championship roster. It, it kind of speaks to the culture a little bit, too, that Bryce Butler came back, having a chance to, to capitalize on the year he had last year. But yeah, want, wanting a chance to come back and play with those three and get a chance to win a title. But you know, by the way, I mean? I, like, I'm going to stop you because you said Bryce Butler God instead of Bruce geez. Brown. But I you call know, him that every yeah. every time. But, but you know, it's a. I got to. Why do I, I do that? I don't know, but I have to point it out because it's hilarious. Because Bryce Butler, the NFL receiver, is the brother of Brenton Butler, who played <laughs> who played at Fordham while I was there announcing his games. Well, that so has nothing to do to why I keep calling Bruce Brown <laughs> Bryce Butler, guys. I do that every, every time I, I bring up his name. Like, it's crazy. Uh, I, 
I feel like it's a compliment to both of them oh, somehow. Oh, my God. Yeah, and but so anyways, yeah. just speaking that, yeah. speaks to the culture that, that, they've, that they've built around in Brooklyn. I agree, man. And Golden State and the Lakers were hot after Patty Mills. And so the fact that the Nets were able to get him, like, super significant. And then, of course, the, the other team whose moves really stand out, the Lakers. You know, the 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 Lakers and the way they do, they, they basically rebuilt their entire roster. I think they will miss Caruso. He has been a significant player for them, especially when it comes to defense. I think that there is, you know, some question as to the shooting, but I think you got to like the roster still. That Laker team is constructed like that Laker team when they had uh, Jeep, then they had Gary Payton and and Carl Malone. And remember at the end yeah. when, they, when they, and they played, they played, they played Detroit Pistons. in the finals, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Team went to the finals. It was really good, but I just don't see that team being able to win. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. You know what? I, they're old. Um, and they're old because. Yeah, and there's some questions about shooting, you know, especially Westbrook there, because typically what you want around LeBron is you want a a point guard who can shoot because LeBron handles the basketball so much. Yeah, if, if Melo can can shoot really, I mean, if Melo can yeah. shoot the lights out, it's going to be good. But but it, it's interesting. But like Malik Malik Monk was a really nice pickup for that team. I think Kendrick Nunn was a really nice pickup for that team. Um, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, bringing him back, seeing what he can do. Uh, I think they will miss KCP shooting, but they I, they're, they reloaded in a way that's super interesting. I, no, it the, is. The, the way I look at it, if I, if, you, if I had to say the teams I thought were going to meet in the conference finals, I, I would say Nets Heat, Lakers Warriors. That's... Wow. Uh, yes. I like, I, I like the Kaminga draft pick. Yeah, yeah, man. a beast, guys. Yeah, dude. It's going to be good. And and Golden State, because of what they've done, they will have the assets and flexibility to make a deal at the deadline if they need to. Of course, this is all contingent upon getting Clay back healthy. Bro, I think if if Jamal Murray's healthy, I think that they can give the Warriors a run. I think if Jamal Murray's healthy, I think what, what, what we've seen of Michael Porter Jr., and I think with Jokic, I think that they can give the Warriors. I, I like them better than the Warriors. Yeah. I think Utah could be there as well. You know, I mean, Jeff Green's a nice signing for uh, for Denver, you know, to your point. I don't know why I like Denver so much. I just like them. No, and, and because, dude, you saw what they did without yeah, Murray. They've, been, yeah, on, they've been on the verge for so, yeah. many, for so many years, so many years, so many years. And now having that extra score in, in Michael Porter, I just feel like it's going to put them over the top. Yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. The West is going—I mean, the basketball season is going to be fun, but the West is going to be super interesting because I'll, I'll be interested to see if Phoenix can can duplicate what they success that they had this year, even just in the regular season, because everybody's going to be coming for them now and knowing that they're good, and you know, mm-hmm. Booker's going to have to step up and play well, and now we're going to see if DeAndre Ayton is 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 what he is. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like. So, you know, it's going to be fun in the West. And, and Phoenix made some nice little moves, too, to augment uh, a roster that went to the finals last year. Again, they're a team that, right, it's not going to be s- serious big moves like Brooklyn. They're going to make little moves, and I think they made some good ones. How about what would you think of the moves the Knicks have made now? I was just get, about to can, say, I yeah. love the Kimba. I'm about to order me the Kimba jersey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, like the, I like the Kimba move. I love I like Kimba that. Walker as a guy, too, man. He. Here's the Bringing thing. Bringing D like, Rose back is huge. I like that. Yep. 
I think having Thibodeau and I think have, when you have D. Rose in the locker room and the Thibodeau team, I think it just helps everybody else understand what he wants out of the team. You know what I'm mm. saying? Mm. Like being a, I mean, because he know because because D. Rose knows, you know, Thibodeau pretty well from playing for him for so long. So I feel like he he understands what what he wants from him. I, and, and look, I think I think it's fair to say, like, wow, those were I don't understand why they did such, you know, so many multiple year deals with guys who seemingly sort of like outperformed their norms last year. When you look at Brooks or Noel or, you know, even four years, 78 million for Fournier. And you're like, wow, that's a long time to be connected to him. I get that. Um, and I get, I had a lot of Knicks fans like texting me like, why are we giving these guys long deals? Could you feel a lot better about it if they were one-year deals? One-year deals. But, but I will say this, like Fournier will help that team. They needed Absolutely. shooting. They needed creating. He fits in well with that team. Kemba Walker, we'll see about his knee. It's a low-risk move. You're paying nothing for the guy. And if it doesn't work out, you move on. But if it does, you know, He's a guy who obviously the garden brings out the best of him. And he, again, will bring you some much needed shooting. I think he'll bring some excitement. So I kind of look, look, there's a ceiling on the Knicks and, and what they can be right now. But you're just trying to continue to build on the credibility and momentum that you have from last year if you're the Knicks with this new regime. And that means, you know, being a playoff team again and then seeing how your young players develop and seeing if you can, you know, end up acquiring your top player or two at some point down the road. But for now, you're just trying to get better with what you have. Yo, speaking of the Knicks and the West, Dame Lillard, did, did Portland make any moves to, no, to get any better? Not, not so, really. I wonder what's so, going to happen there. So I wonder if, you know, the Knicks getting Kimba, does that kill them um, trading for Dame? For the time being, yes. But by the deadline, who knows? You know, I... I, I I can't see anything happening there right now um, because also the way, but the, the way you have to wait once you sign guys to be able to deal them. But in season, is it possible? I think it's possible in season. Otherwise, it'd be possible next off season. I feel like Dame needs to ask for a trade, man. I feel like he was going to this year, and then he got all the noise about you know where he wanted to go and all this different stuff. And I feel like just out of spite, he's like not going to ask for a trade. But like, how do they not make that roster better to try to? you know, solidify something to get him to stay. Like, yeah. him not doing nothing this off this offseason in free agency just makes me, like, believe that they want him to ask for a trade so they can trade him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do think, though, they, they have a... There's a lack of flexibility there. That's their reality. It almost has to come... Either if you're going to... You'd have to almost trade CJ um, and bring in, you know, be able to bring in assets that fit around Dame potentially better, or you'd have to... Um, you, you would have to develop it through the draft. But I, I'm very curious to see how that ends up developing through the regular season, especially if they get off to a slow start. Because then I think the Heat's really going to turn off. But I don't know if teams have the flexibility right now to get involved with Dame. The team that should try and get Dame is Philadelphia. That's the, the team. They should be hot on this trail. They def I mean, that would... That would Oh, I mean, him and Embiid, that would be crazy. Especially with all that shooting they got there. Oh, man. That's a championship duo. That's I never what you're even thought about do. that. I never yeah, thought about man. that. All right, see, before we get to Walker Bueller here, how about your third slinging heat today? Yo, listen, so my third slinging heat had to do with baseball. It had to do with Luis, Luis Hill and what he did um, for the Yankees last night. But 
I wanted to, since we were talking about free agency, we were talking about, um, you know, baseball, I wanted to say, me and Curtis had came up with something that we thought would be cool to put in the next CBA. You Curtis is, Granderson? Curtis Granderson, which is if you as a franchise, so if the Yankees drafted or signed Glaber Torres at 16 years old, he comes all the way through the system, he becomes a free agent, now we give him $320 million, that money shouldn't go against our books. Against Ooh. our luxury tax. So we were talking about the Indians. We were talking about different organizations that develop talent but can't sign them in free agency, but, have, but you know, don't have a chance to keep their players. And this would be a cool way to be able to have a, you know, small market teams have a chance to be able to keep their players that they drafted and developed that turned into stars and demand all this money and it don't go against their books. What you got on that? Mm, that's interesting. Well, it's funny because the first team I actually think about that it would help is a is big market teams because like if you think about it the Yankees don't have to worry about the luxury tax then which yeah. I understand because one thing I always think is like if you're if you're the Yankees you have to be thinking like why do I need to be funding the rest of baseball right why do I need to be supplementing every other team's salary the for them to then come yeah to come and beat me um, so I think I think for you know this is just my initial reaction to you saying that I think for I think for a team like the Yankees, I think for big market teams that don't like the idea of going into the luxury tax because then what they're really doing is help fueling their competition. Like, I think it could be advantageous for them. I don't know if it helps a small market team like the Indians, though, or if it actually ends up helping the bigger teams because now they're not getting hit with the bill that currently deters them from continuing to spend. Yeah, but I mean, they get, these guys get to keep their players. So now the Yankees can't sign a... CC Sabathia or AJ Burnett or whoever else, these guys stay in their same organization. Yeah, except for it depends where the luxury tax threshold is, right? Because in some cases, like the Indians may not get close to the luxury tax. They just don't have the money to pay your Glaber Torres at 320 million, right? Like, so I think it depends on where that threshold is and when they get penalized. Because some of those teams, you're right, they they can't afford to go into the luxury tax. But other of those teams can't afford to get to a number that's way below the luxury tax. So I, I, I'm curious how it would net out, like which market teams it would actually end up helping more. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's interesting, man. No, it'd, be like it way, it'd, be, it'd be a great way to, to, you know, maybe help, hopefully help, you know, the market and, and keep some of these guys on the same team that, you know, can't get poached by uh, some of these bigger market teams. Hmm. Well, speaking of bigger market teams and young talent, uh, the man we're going to talk to today is an unbelievable pitcher for a team that has, uh, you know, spent and spent and spent and developed and developed and developed, and they have become uh, a, a Goliath in baseball year in and year out. That's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Walker Bueller has been somebody from the first time C watched him. He was like, this dude is special. He has proven to be. He's the favorite to win the NL Cy Young this year. He's a super interesting guy who I really think you all are going to thoroughly enjoy listening to he's a good storyteller he's smart as can be and he's obviously very accomplished so without further ado here is two-time all-star world series champ and the favorite to win the cy young in the nl this year walker bueller on r2c2 Thank you for doing this, man. And just so you know, we just dive in. Cool. I'll try and not cuss too much. 
Oh, don't worry about that, bro. You're on my podcast. You can just say whatever you want. <laughs> Yo, I, I know you pitched last night. Like, what is the 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 night of the game? What is those sleep nights like? Or was it good last night or what? Like, how does that go? Yeah, to be honest, with you, I don't I don't have too much too much issue with the sleep stuff. I don't know why, but um, I, you know, I'm just in a pretty good routine now of of knowing I got to pitch today. I, I think. For a lot of guys, the the start day is like the big stressful one. For me, it's like the happiest day of the week. I, I hate <laughs> the other four, but uh, no, slept good. Big game last night. Obviously, sucks to lose it, but uh, you know, coming. We got Scherzer going today, so we feel pretty good about it. What I want, I definitely want to ask you about Mad Max being out there with you guys. But what about the atmosphere, Walker? I mean, I know it got dicey with the fans and stuff being thrown and everything. It was very intense, but I mean, how would you describe what it was like on the mound as your fans have their first chance to see the Astros in person after, you know, a- after what happened in, in 2017? Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, different than any game I've, I've kind of been a part of. Uh, very, very playoffy, very kind of drag out. Obviously, you know, there was kind of the stoppages and stuff like that, but even when people are getting booed, like it takes time and, and you're kind of waiting it out, but we, we expect that out of our fans and, and, you know, appreciate it in a lot of ways. They, they, they kind of go through this whole thing with us, especially in LA and, you know, they, they got their chance at them yesterday and, and then they will again today. So, you know, maybe cathartic for them in, in some way, but um, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's about winning a game today for us. And, you know, I think that's the big thing for today. Is there still, because you guys won last year, which I would imagine helps to alleviate some of the wounds in the past, but is there still a feeling amongst the guys who were there in 2017 in that clubhouse, Walker, of like, well, we might have gotten cheated out of that in 2017. Like, that could have been our title too. Yeah, you know, I think I was a September call-up in 2017 and didn't make the playoff roster, so kind of my connection to that year and, and that world series is a lot different than, than a lot of the guys that went through it. But when you pick their brains and, and talk to them about 2018 and playing the Red Sox and all this stuff and, and who we played this past year, that a lot of them will t- still tell you that that Houston team was, was as good as, as any of them. Um, I think there is obviously going to be a little bit of, you know, that 2020 should have been our, second world series for some guys. And, and I think that's fine. I think that's normal and, and natural and um, just kind of interesting that, that the COVID year was the first year that all of this kind of came out. And, and so now you're looking at a year and a half of, of people building up to, to want to express this at that team. And um, you know, it, it's understandable. Obviously I think I'm a little bit more objective on it just because being part of that team, but not being there, not being in the playoffs, not kind of, you know, for, for me and my perspective, it was like, Hey, big boys, like go and win a ring. So I can have a cool <laughs> ring. But I, you know, like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't so much like, Oh, I'm getting ready to play this game. I'm sitting in Arizona watching games at, at, you know, happy hour of Fleming. So like, it's just different, you know? Yeah. No, it's crazy because it's like the, the buildup, it makes it stronger for those guys in the markets that, that, that you know, whatever, New York or L.A., but it, it, it makes it easier when they go play in different places because some of those cities may have forgot about it. But 
the buildup of having a year and a half to be able to express that when they came to New York and when they go to LA, they had to expect it. So it kind of is what it is, but it, it's, it's, it's helped them, you know, I feel like, because I feel like if we were to play 2020 with fans, then it would have been insane for them to every, you know, every stop that they made. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. One, one of the biggest things in college for us was was talking about, you know, they're not your teammates, they're your brothers, and and this isn't a dugout, this is a bunker, and, uh, you know, all these kind of military-esque references that that we use in college, but I think for some way for them, that, that probably has to push them closer as, as a team just because they're dealing with that stuff all the time, and, um, you know, again, they'll kill me in L.A., and... and it is warranted what what they're going through, in in my opinion. But at the same time, they're, they're going to have to try and find a, a positive out of it. And, um, if there is one from a, from a kind of objective view, it, it may be pushing them kind of closer together in that clubhouse. All right. So you have Scherzer going uh, tonight. We, we're recording. We're very honest with our audience, Walker. We're recording on Wednesday afternoon. This will release Thursday morning. So we'll by the time our audience is hearing this, they'll have known what what Max did Wednesday night. But what have the first couple days being around Max been like? And and especially as, you know, another starter on that staff, what have your interactions with Scherzer been like? Uh, they've been great. You know, I think he, he kind of has a different intensity about him that, that <laughs> you know, it's not a knock against anyone else. He's, he's just special in, in that respect. And, um, you know, I've gotten to see it a little bit over the years at, at the All-Star game and stuff. So. Um, somewhat knew what to expect. Obviously, I think his game day is, is one thing that kind of is, is spoken about through our game and um, got to see his bullpen, which lived up to the hype. I know CC can touch on kind of <laughs> some of the stuff that's known about him and, and how he goes about some of that business. But, um, you know, you, you never really know everything about a guy until you watch him compete and, and watch how they walk into the stadium on their day. Um, so we're certainly looking forward to it tonight, but, um, you know, it's, it's been pretty amazing for me to have had the guys around me that I have this early in my career and, and to be on teams that are as successful as, as we have been early in my career. So, um, you know, we signed Cole Hamels as well this morning. So you, know, you look at those three guys and then David, you know, it's just, it's pretty wild the accumulation of guys and the experience that, that we have in there. And, and, you know, a lot of times it used to be, you say experience for the guy that was at the end. Right. And, and I don't think either of those three guys are, and, um, you know, it's, it's just been fun. Yeah. No, what was crazy when, when I saw him get traded, the first thing I thought about was the all-star game and seeing you guys sitting right next to each other, you know, right in that clubhouse. When I walked up on you guys, it was like, you know, you was getting that game from him, but now you get a chance to, to have that all the time. Like, that's super cool. What was your relationship with David before um, him coming to the Dodgers? I know both of you guys are Vandy guys. Did you you have a chance to have a relationship with uh, with him before he got to the Dodgers? Yeah. Um, you know, somewhat here and there we'd text and, and I'd pick his brain and sometimes he'd respond and sometimes not. And, and now, that I'm, <laughs> now that I'm kind of in a in a similar position that, that he was at the time, it's, it's a lot more understandable, but... Um, no, DP's always been super, super involved at, at Vanderbilt and, and has a lot of pride in that program and has invested a lot of, of time and, and his own resources to, to try and improve that program. So I think him speaking to us, being around, FaceTiming us after, you know, games in the College World Series and things like that, they're, they're just 
that's not normal thing. Those aren't normal things to do. It's not normal behavior. So, um, you know, I, I kind of knew what kind of human we were getting in him and, and obviously being around him more, I don't think anything has changed on that front. Yo, you know what's crazy is that all the Vandy guys are the same. Like, they're all great guys, whether it's Sonny, uh, DP, Pedro Alvarez lives around the corner. Like, I hang out with him all the time. It's like all the same high-character guys, like, that, you know, Corbin recruits. It's pretty cool to see, you know, you guys mature and become, you know, big league stars and league clubhouses. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, I think, honestly, it, it does start with Corbs. I know there's a – I would like to test him on this, but the the rumor and his claim – is that he remembers the parents' names of every kid he's ever recruited, not signed, recruited. What? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can ask Do him. you believe it, Walker? Do you believe him on that? I have nothing to not believe. Wow. You know? <laughs> I, I just, it's very interesting. Like, you can ask him about a kid that he had that signed or went to junior call and he knows their parents and you're like, what, like, what is going on? (laughs) Man. But when you think about that kind of detail and that kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, give a shit level to interacting with certain people, you can see how that leads to filtering high character and high quality people. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that can play baseball and, um, you know, certainly there's probably 20 programs that, that have the talent that Vanderbilt has in, in some way, but it, you know, it's which one of those 20 goes there and, and how they fit and how they acclimate to being part of that culture, not just, you know, a draft prospect for three years. And, you know, I think that was a, that was a big rude awakening for me getting to school. Cause I kind of shot up in the draft and then fell apart at the end of my senior year of, of high school. So ended up at school, wanted to go to school, but like there's opportunities that you kind of have to <laughs> evaluate. Right. And, and then that stuff falls apart and you think you've earned something by doing that and you haven't. Right. And, and there's guys that are three years older than you that are grown men that want to go win a national championship. And if you're worried about why you didn't get picked six months ago, it, you know, you're that, that's detrimental to, to the culture. Well, this is so interesting, Walker. So, I mean, as you're transitioning to Vanderbilt, what was your initial mindset then in regard to what you were just talking about coming off the draft, going there? And, you know, how did you kind of get through that period of maybe feeling like I'm not where I'm supposed to be to, oh, this is a great opportunity? Or did you get to that place? Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're staring down six, seven figures at, at 17 or 18 years old, you don't turn that down thinking you're going to go back up. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Um, you know, you're going there thinking, all right, well, I, I just won't go pitch in pro ball. I'll go pitch in the sec. And I chose Vanderbilt cause it's the sec and they'll watch me for three years, dominate that the best conference and whatever. And then I threw the midweek games, my first two years, <laughs> you know, I was our number four starter and, and Deservedly so. It wasn't like I did a whole lot that that said that was wrong, right? But I think it's just learning like, oh, fit in and then get better. Fit in and rise. Like, rise through your teammates, not, you know, stepping on them, right? I think that competitiveness and it, it just, you learn to kind of use it differently and, and shift the way that you're competing 
into, I, I think, the healthy way to do it with, with the team and, and being able to elevate each other, I think um, that's the difference is like elevating yourself or, or elevating each other. And I think that was, you know, the biggest kind of learning curve for me. Man, I liken that to like the Indians organization. They do a good job of developing players, but it's because they teach you not to step on your teammates on, on the way up. It's like we're all trying to get to up here together. You know what I'm saying? We all know that it's probably going to be one or two guys off each team that's going to move, but it's about being a good about being a good teammate, being a high character guy, and you may move. You know what I'm saying? Just because of that, and and they do a good job of you know filtering the guys. They'll they'll rather lose with 25 great guys that win the World Series with 25 assholes. And I've and I learned that so fast in that organization, and it helped me out. And and that I got labeled to being a great teammate, and that's why I was able to play for 19 years. But it, it was because of that organization. Well, you you also look at it, and it's funny we you know we kind of separate on the field, off the field all the time, right? But I mean, you watch all their young guys, similar ages, play together, kind of coming through, and you watch they're all getting better. Like, you know, the the example is Bieber starts punching all these guys out on certain sequences, right? then Plesak starts throwing those sequences and Savali, like it, it translates, right? You get to watch a guy and then, Oh, that makes sense. Let me try that. And how are you doing that? And and so they all kind of their repertoires start meshing because they've been doing it together. And, and, you know, I think a lot of times you can see that happening and, and it's kind of a, a cool deal for sure. Walker is there. And I know you're speaking of the culture of Vanderbilt, but is there a, um, a person or a moment or a conversation that stands out most to you that helped you in sort of that evolution of how you saw competition and transitioning towards that healthy competitive level that seemed like it was instrumental in getting you to the place you you've eventually gotten to. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things I don't have a singular moment or, or singular kind of conversation. Right. But, but, my sophomore year, I was throwing the ball really well, pitching the midweeks, and we were kind of struggling on the weekends early in, in our conference play, right? And my freshman year, I had one start in the SEC. It was kind of a spot thing because they moved us in TV and, and threw well against Alabama. So I go into my sophomore year thinking like, all right, like I'm going to pitch on the weekends. I don't. And probably eight or 10 starts in, we're struggling. And I asked Brownie, our pitching coach, like, why, why am I not throwing on Sundays? Like, I, I think I can help us on Sundays. He said, the midweek is, is just important. It's the same game, right? Like, you win or you lose. We have to win all the midweeks to stay where we need to be to host. And for me, that was a, that was a big thing because it was, it, it was Fridays are more important than Saturdays. And Saturdays are more important than Sundays. And Sundays are more important than Tuesdays in kind of the college hierarchy of, of games, but realizing like, no, as long as we win the game that I pitch, like that's all that matters. It's not where I'm pitching or when I'm pitching. It's just winning when I do. And, and I think that it translates to pro ball because we play every day and it doesn't matter who you play. Winning is winning and losing is losing. And I think that was kind of a, a little switchover point for me, realizing like just win, like, Everything yeah, else, win. <laughs> yeah, like it's not about winning and being the guy, right? It's just about being a guy and winning. I think is huge. And, yeah. and if, if we all win, and everybody's a guy, 
You know what I'm right. saying? Like, I, I never wanted to be just the guy or the ace by himself. Like, I knew what it was going to take as far as three or four of us to be great. And yeah. and that's why I was that's why I was always chasing trying to come to New York or, or being with a great staff. Well, see, it's so funny because you always talk about how that mentality kind of helped you in October, right? How like when you were younger pitching, you you wanted to be the reason why that your team won, and then by the time you know you get to the Yankees and you were so great in October all those years, you're like, no, I just I just want to win. I just want to contribute. I don't need to be the reason. Just my small little part. I wanted to go out and like dominate and you know dominate the postseason and be the reason why that the team, you know, was was had this parade. And and the 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 year that I actually went out and did that, I was just trying to go out and just do my small little part and ended up having these great games. But but by just thinking small and 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 just wanting to go out and help the team instead of, you know, have it all be on me. You, Walker, you have great just natural segue here. You have great postseason numbers, young guy. You've obviously had a lot of opportunities thanks to how great your team has been year in, year out. Uh, what what has been the key for you navigating October and having success in it? You know, I think there's a few things. I think there's obviously like the X's and O's part of it. And then there's like the mental side of it. I think mentally for me, being able to get in the playoffs and be like, like a guy that was going to start every round, not like, oh, you're going to throw the fourth game and then maybe the bullpen here, you know, knowing like I was throwing game three, that was it. For me, every game in the big leagues was huge still. You know, my first playoff start was like my 25th start or something. Like it wasn't like I had this big, you know, history of pitching in the regular season. And now this playoff thing is so different. They, it, it still felt huge to me in the regular season. So I think that made the jump to the playoffs a little bit easier for me. Um, I think failing in Atlanta was huge for me. I gave up the grand slam to Acuna. Um, and then I threw three scoreless after that. So I got to five and five and got out of there. And You know, we had a chance to be close. And I think, oh, like, I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to embarrass the other team to win. I can just pitch, right? And then I, I think having Kirsch, Rich Hill, Rue, these guys that you know are going to go and, like, get us into games, let me be a little more free, Right. On the X's and O's side, I think CC could probably attest a little bit. For me, the play is all about momentum. It's all that matters is momentum. And so if you look at my numbers, I have walked significantly more guys in the playoffs than I have in the regular season for my career. By design. Any single is momentum. Walk slows the game down. The guy has to walk down there. There's no... Hoorah, there's no excitement relatively, right? They got a guy on base, but he didn't hit that ball 104, right? Like there's nothing that's like on me. So I made the decision to throw this pitch and, and I didn't execute it. So he's on first because of me, not because he beat me, because I beat myself. And if, then I started just containing it to where you want to be a small part, right? In the grand scheme. But on that day, like I want it to be about me at least what I'm battling with, not them. Right. And so I think the hit to walk thing has, has been a huge deal for me. Um, Cause there's nothing really demoralizing about walking a guy in a situation that I consciously and 
taking a risk of not throwing a strike, right? I'd rather trust myself to throw a strike than for that guy not to hit a homer. Mm. That is such a fascinating perspective. I could see, uh, our, what's our guy on Instagram, uh, C, who loves the pitching stuff? Who He he picks out clips from R2C2 sometimes. I'm forgetting what oh, his handle is. Oh, <laughs> Pitching Ninja. Well, is it oh, Pitching Ninja, Ninja or something? No, it's someone else uh, on Instagram, though. Pitching Ninja on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know. Point, but, point, I'll think of it. But point, pit, maybe Pitcher's Nation? I'm not sure. But oh, po- Pitcher's Nation. But point being, like, that is, I Walker, for all the conversations we've had, I've never heard someone put it the way you just put it. And it makes it makes a ton of sense. It makes it because you're right. Like I can even think about it just sitting there in the crowd, right? When when your team, when you're looking for some momentum and your team gets a hit, you feel that. You're like, all right, let's go, let's go, you know? And if you get a walk, there's like, okay, all right, but it doesn't, it's not that same, you know, jolt of energy. So I get that. Yeah, for me, it was always like a pitching on the road, I would always like equate that to like the momentum like when when the team gets a hit then the crowd's going crazy when they walk then they know that that's on me you know what i'm saying like i let you guys have that like yeah i'm trying to you know make a perfect pitch didn't make a pitch i even think about 2017 in cleveland that game five like it was so quiet in there because i was it was just no momentum like they didn't do shit but strike out ground out or i walk people you know what I'm saying? Like, there were no hits until Gio got to hit the right field, and then it got super loud. But, like, it was nothing going on because I was in control of, of the action. So by him controlling the action, it just it keeps you calm because now you're in control of the crowd. You're in control of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know that that you only, you only you know, you're pitching around the contact. So, it, 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 yeah, it lets you control the game. Uh, Pitchers Nation, by the way, is the Instagram handle. Pitchers Nation. Pitchers Nation, yeah. But we love Pitching Ninja on Twitter, too. And Rob Freeman does an amazing job. Um, how, how about, Walker, you know, you, you've had, obviously, your team has had a ton of success. Your organization, it blows me away. And we, we were talking with Jeff Passan last week, uh, the day before the trade deadline, and we were just talking about, like, how does this happen? Like, you're someone who experienced the Dodgers development. Obviously when you came out of Vanderbilt, you're a first round pick. You have a world of talent, you know, you've, you've made good on that talent at the big league level. But if you were going to describe what it is about the Dodgers as an organization that not only finds, but develops this top tier talent seemingly year after year after year, what about it? Would you sort of put your finger on? You know, obviously, I don't want to speak for for our GM and our or in our front office, but I think kind of my observation is that we seem to be a, a half a click ahead in the trends a lot of the times, right? In in 2016, 15, 16, 17, when I started you know, really watching Dodger games, we we were the team that was going up with the four seam and, and down with the breaking ball and kind of doing that all the time with everybody that becomes the new trend. All the relievers, a lot of the starters are doing that for two years. And we're, we've got four sinker guys in our bullpen now. So like these games go in ebbs and, you know, they, they go in waves and cycles. And, and I feel like we're always pushing that kind of cycle one click forward. Now, given that we go and find guys that do the next thing that we think is going to happen in four years we draft them waiting for them to get to the big leagues in four years. 
So, you know what I mean? It's just an interesting deal. And you know, we go and get Blake Trine and, and that's a big sinker at the time. That wasn't the, the fad. He comes over to us and he, he's been really, really successful. I, I just, we did the same thing with Scott Alexander and Victor Gonzalez and these guys that throw these kind of wild pitches and, and it's just not what guys are seeing. So you're, you're creating room for error as an organization, right? You can be wrong on a guy, but you grab a guy that does something that nobody else does. It gives you a margin and, and a room for error and, and kind of the freedom to develop in, in a way that isn't solely dependent on your first round pick being unbelievable. Right. But if you do take guys in the first round that are good, then you have six guys from a class that, that are going to be big leaguers. And, and I think that kind of organizational depth is, is huge. That's really interesting. And it's so true. It's funny. We recently had on Theo Epstein and, and we were talking about all the ways in which baseball is looking at rule changes and stuff. And, you know, one of the things that made me think is, our organization's going to start to anticipate that and try and find like, okay, how can I stash or start to target the things that are going to work when these tweaks come in, when we have an automated strike zone, right? When we have, you know, whatever rule changes might, might end up happening. And so it's kind of a similar mentality to what you guys do there, it seems, and have done so successfully. How about, for you, when you come in and you're, you're a guy coming in with a ton of talent, and I remember uh, C brought you up the first time he saw you pitch. First time. He, he, he was right like, away. yo, this dude, Walker Bueller, he's I, like, that's my guy, him. man. Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> away. He, he, he was like, you got to see. And I'm like, what, the Dodgers <laughs> have another pitcher? What's going on, man? He's like, no, this guy's the best dude they have, I'm telling yeah. you. Uh, uh, but for you, we talked about the veterans you've you've been around there and have now. But you come in right away with a ton of talent, right? And now you also have a lot of credentials. You're a two-time All-Star. You're a World Series champ. Right now, you're the favorite to win the Cy Young. How has kind of, I guess, your comfort changed at all, if it has, with the way you're able to approach those guys, the conversations you have, the questions you ask? Or has it been consistent from the time you got there till now when you've had these resources around you that you've had? Yeah, I mean, I'll certainly say some things to Kirsch now that I would have never said a few years ago. <laughs> um, no, you know, it, it is what it is. You play with anybody, no matter starting pitcher, catcher, relief, play with people long enough, you do, you develop relationships and, and I guess become a little more free in the clubhouse. But I think a lot of people will tell you that I, I've tried to and and was pretty much the same person um, my first day in the big leagues is, as I am now, I, I think at times that probably rubs some people the wrong way. And, you know, for me, that's fine. I think that was my way of acting and feeling about myself the way that I needed to, to be successful. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's about winning. And, and if I was doing well on the field, I had no problem being myself. Right. So yeah, it's just been a, a cool ride, just the groups that we've had and, um, you know, how close our staffs have been. And, and then we get to, you know, we lose some guys, but then we add other guys that are new and different and, and bring something different that we haven't had. And, um, you know, I guess going back to the Shures thing, you know, Rich Hill was pretty wild on his, his start days in terms of 
um, you know, the look in his eyes, but <laughs> I'm excited to, to see shirt. I mean, Kirsch's kind of routine is, is pretty legendary through the game as well, but you know, him and Scherzer are, are similar and, and very different at the same time. So, you know, I think being able to, to watch guys more than anything. And, and then when they're not doing what they're doing, then I can, you know, mess with them about it, but also try and pick their brain as, as always kind of been, you know, what I, what I do and, and how I go about it. No, that's, that's hilarious because Andy Pettit's routine was legendary. And it like, so like, it took me a while to be able to like dig at him about it. So like, it took me like a half a season. Like I would watch him. I watched everything he did. Like one time I followed him everywhere. One start, like I just followed him around because he had headphones on. So he could never even know I was behind him. So I followed him the whole time <laughs> for like two hours, watching him do his whole routine. But I would never say anything to him about it. But like, it took me like until, you know, later into the year to August to start jabbing him about it. And then what was crazy is that turned into my routine. By the end of my, by, by last year, or even like by, by 15, 16, 2016, I was doing everything he did. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's us as fans and, you know, them being the older guys, you, you try to pick their brains and learn from them. But I mean, having that type of talent and being a type, being around those type of guys, it's just going to help you prolong your career. You could pick up one little thing here or there that, that you may not have to use now, but you may can use when you're late in your 30s or, you know, that you can remember that that you got from one of these guys. For sure. For sure. What Walker, what do you like on a game day routine-wise? Um, I'm actually, like, louder. Um, <laughs> probably more relaxed, as I said. That That's, like, the one day that I'm, like, excited. Some guys get all anxious and, and stressed and, and whatever, and I think that happens to everyone, whether you feel it or not, or whether you exude it or not. I, you know, I just, pretty young, I, I just wanted everyone around me to not be nervous, cautious. Or scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I wanted people to be able to be themselves even when I was starting. And if you're not being yourself, then other people can't be. So, like, you know, some of these guys like don't talk to me, and that's completely fine. Like, mm -hmm. these are all coping things, right? Like, it's how That's you can deal with it the best. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's not like I would prefer to be quiet and walk around and make everyone uncomfortable. I just, this is how I've always done it. And I will tell you probably the, the best example. It's also embarrassing for me, but I will share it. Nice. So, That's what we like Walker. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so in 2019 or yeah, 2019, I had to start against the Marlins and seven o'clock game. I'm in there at five twenty. That's what I do when I start getting worked on. We were meeting at four 45, my start, or, you know, I started getting worked on at five twenty, and it's like five twenty five or no, like four 45. And I'm in there playing cards with a couple of our teammates. We used to have a little pluck game that we would just play kind of throughout the day. So our, the guy that works on me walked in, he's like, Hey, are you coming in? Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'll be in there in 35 minutes. You know this. And he said, yeah, I do know that except the game's at six ten, not seven ten. <laughs> so I had, I had to go in and it normally takes about 45 minutes. I said, you've got 10 minutes, figure it out. <laughs> and he did, and I went and threw the ball well, but that was 
That was very indicative. I have gotten better. I've gotten a little more disciplined, but at the time, man, I, it was just like, all right, I got to be here at this time, and and nothing was going to kind of change my mind. So I didn't even feel like checking the time of the game. I guess. Oh my gosh, hey, that's, that's phenomenal. That is great. But like, I'm the same way. I was. Oh, I, I am. I was the same day on pitch days, just because I would be super nervous. But I wouldn't want to exude that. Like, I wouldn't want people to, to know that I'm nervous. So my coping would be just to talk. So, like, I talked so much on the days that I pitched to the point where, like, reporters would come to me and ask questions and shit. And I'd be like, check the lineup. Like, I'm pitching today. Like, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> like, a bunch of different times that happened. Like, I remember. Because they would see me, like, in the locker room screaming, running around, yelling and shit. But it was because I was super nervous. As soon as I walked out to the field, I felt like I had to take a shit right away but like <laughs> i didn't want that feeling in the clubhouse you know what i'm saying so like the longer i can prolong that that feeling i'm gonna do that as long as i can because i'm gonna get i'm gonna get that as soon as i get out there anyway no no need to be nervous at fucking five o'clock i might as well be in here enjoying myself you know what i'm saying right for sure oh my gosh that's so funny walker how about you come from kentucky and i i'm wondering like does that make you, were you a big hoops fan growing up? Like uh, UK hoops. That's yeah, it. that's it. Like, yeah. So are you still like diehard watching, watching them play? Um, yeah. I mean, for the most part, we're at home and, and you know, when their kind of seasons going, I'm, I'm back home in Kentucky. So I don't really go to the games anymore. I, I just, it's just kind of a zoo getting in and out of there sometimes. Um, Rupp is right downtown Lexington. and. Um, we live kind of near there, but, you know, going to people's house to watch a game is a pretty routine thing, especially on Saturdays. They they typically play Saturday mornings or, you know, early afternoon. So um, that's a pretty normal thing. And, and I've been fortunate enough to go over and watch a couple practices and stuff. And um, that's been really cool. And the last one, I Jay Billis was there. It was like a big game. Oh, that's so awesome. I just got to sit and kind of talk to him and, it's just been a, a a cool thing for me to go home and um, even though I didn't go to UK, kind of have them let me come over and watch and, and hang out. And, um, yeah, definitely a big, big UK hoops fan. Um, horse racing is the other big thing from home. So um, those are kind of the the two things that we, we worry about in the off season. So can you, so like, this is fascinating to me because I feel like the horse racing experts, if you will, or like serious fans out there, they're few and far between, right? Like everybody will watch, you know, the big races, but like, so are you able to kind of talk like, Hey, you know, you got to watch out for this horse. Cause this, this horse is like, are you able to break <laughs> it down like that? I used to be better. So what happened <laughs> to me was when I was a kid, I read all these books, ones about the buyer speed figure and handicapping books. So that's picking horses called handicapping, right? Yeah. So I read all these books. And so when I was like 12 or 13, my grandfather would pick me up from school, take me out a little early, and we'd go to the track every once in a while. That was like, <laughs> oh, everything awesome. was going good. We'd get to go to the track. So I did really good. I used to hit all these bets. It's super effective where you pick the first four horses. So I was like into it. Then they put a different track in at the racetrack in my hometown. They put poly, which is just not dirt. It's like fake dirt. And then I haven't cashed a ticket at my home track since then. So since I was like 14. <laughs> but, 
I used to love it. I just, That's I'm great. not good at it. That is great. <laughs> that is hilarious, man. It looks to me like, too, just following you on social media, that you're a big UFC fan as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of recent. I think I always liked it a little and would watch the big ones and McGregor and whatever. But I think how they handled the COVID thing and being on TV and being accessible and being something to watch was like the, I kind of went to like, oh, like I'm into this now. I, I know who like the third biggest fight of the card is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. When you get to that fight. point, that's Dude, impressive. You, you, that's yeah, how you yeah, know. Yeah. That's how you know. It's funny. I, br- I broadcast some boxing and that's always how I could tell, like, did somebody know? Because if I'm talking about like, you know, the 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 fourth fight or or anybody in the undercard you know and they're like oh yeah you know he, he, that amateur he did. I'm like whoa all right Bro, like, any, he, anybody yeah, on yeah. the undercard does. Yeah. anybody yeah. that you can talk about on the undercard before the fight yeah, you know right. you know that sport for sure you, you really do you really do Walker how about I mean you just mentioned the COVID thing and you're right the UFC they really sort of set the tone in sports along those lines having fans back in the stadium. How much of a difference is it for you on the mound? And I know we all adjusted to life without the fans, but now that you have them again, can you ever imagine going back to, you know, a world where you're playing without them? No, what I will say is the, the biggest adjustment for me not having them was the drive to the stadium. It's 1.30, you get in your car, you start tur- you turn your music up, whatever you got to do to make yourself feel cool. <laughs> and for me, it's about getting my stomach, my stomach to drop like once you get like the chills. And that feeling to me is like, again, a coping thing, but I've always told myself, Oh, that's like my body letting me know that there's adrenaline in there that I'll get it later. Like that I'll be amped up when I need to be. And first start, no fans didn't get it. Second start, no fans didn't get it over and over and over. And I think for me, it was just trying to figure out how to get that like competitive stuff going. And and I think I realized that it's really not as competitive or like me versus that guy. Cause I just, we face a million hitters. Like, like it is what it is. Like there's certain guys that you're going to face a million times in your vision that you're going to have like a little thing with, but I think for me, it's just the fe- that feeling is me not wanting to embarrass myself in front of 40,000 people. And so not having that, I just couldn't get that kind of nervous, don't embarrass yourself, your family, your state, and your country. You know, like, <laughs> that's how you feel at, at some point, right? Like, you, you know what's crazy? I think, like, the big fan bases, too, like, they hold you to that. Like, because you play in L.A. and playing here in New York, I mean, you you held to that even in the offseason. Like, I remember I used to work out really hard just because, like, man, I don't want to be embarrassed in April. Like, I don't want to get booed off the field and, like, not be prepared or all of these things. And when you don't have that, then it's kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, yeah it, it is the the fans that fuel that that not wanting to to embarrass yourself. You know, I, I want to go back to one thing, Walker. You, you were talking before about the Kershaw, like, le- legendary routine and the intensity of it and then, like, experiencing Scherzer. And I know our audience is going to be listening and they're going to they're gonna be looking for specificity. So <laughs> what, what is 
What is like one part of either just witnessing Scherzer for the first time or witnessing Kershaw a lot? What's like one part of the routine that's unique to their intensity that that you'd be willing to share? I haven't seen Scherzer's yet, but I did read an article the other day that there's some sort of giant roast beef sandwich involved. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason for saying... The reason for saying that is Kirsch early in his career decided his pregame meal based on what he knew was going to be in every clubhouse. Wow. So hearing Kirsch or hearing Scherzer has like a specific thing like that. It's very interesting to me because a, I haven't picked a pregame meal. That'll be everywhere. That's not part of my routine. So maybe those two guys do it. Maybe that might be one thing I need to pick up, but the fact that they both do it is pretty, pretty interesting. You definitely need to pick up something that you know is going to be everywhere, especially if it's something that works. Like, if you deem it to work, then it's got to be something that you can have all the time. Oh, yeah. Is, it, what but, are you, is there yeah, anything yeah. in particular now that you, like, always – or is there anything that you usually eat before a game now? Um, I used to just be Chipotle every time I would start kind of thing. Um, probably started in college. I would – you know – Here's a starting pitcher, so you don't have to be there right at one or right after your class. So I would meander over there, get Chipotle, they go to the field. Um, I, I think for me, like the superstition stuff, I used when we were at home, I used to get my car washed, pick up Chipotle, go to the field, and then I used to take a lap around the field in my car. That was like my thing. In your car? So, no way, in the big leagues or at college? In the big leagues. Okay. Wait, you take your car right, on so the field? Around the field. No. Around oh, the stadium. Around the stadium. Around the stadium. Gotcha. I was like, it's whoa, whoa, whoa. They, they no, barely make a... special allowances for you there. At, uh, at no, so, okay. <laughs> got it. Got if it. To, if you've been to Dodger Stadium, it's down it's, in there. Yeah. yeah. You can drive straight around it. In our players' lot, you actually have to go the wrong way and the one way to get there. Okay. Interesting. So instead of doing that, it's like the karma thing. Like, I don't want to go the wrong way on a one way on my start day because that's bad karma. That's how it started. Then, so I would just drive all the way around and loop back in the player's lot. Then it turned into like, I play a certain song right when I get in the gate and then I listen to it all the way around. Then it turned into like, oh, I'm finally on the poster. Like, I'm the man this is my place today. Like this whole yard. <laughs> and then this year I had a bad game and then I had another start at home and I didn't do any of it. I just said to hell with it. I'm done. So I ate what they had to field, left my car dirty as all get out <laughs> and drove straight into the player's lot. <laughs> and so now I, they're kind of gone for right now. I, I don't really have them. For right now. For right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I love They're that. They're never that, really gone, bro. I promise you. <laughs> that is a wonderful, wonderful story. Walker, we had on uh, Drew Robinson the other day. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but it's, you know, yeah, super powerful. And it was interesting because one thing he talked about was he was like, you know, people think, 
because you're talking about mental health or you're an advocate. Like, that's all you want to talk about. And it's like, well, no, I like to talk about other things. Like, that's like one hour of the day, not the other 23. So we asked him at the end, just like, what's one thing you'd love to talk about or, you know, you don't you, you don't get to whatever. And uh, and I use the example of like C and I we're total we're, we're nerds like we love watching videos of orcas. We're Star Wars fans. We're Harry Potter fans. Like, you know, and and he actually, yeah, he said, he said friends. So I want to ask you the same question. Like, what's one thing that you'd be like, man, I would love to be asked about this. Like it's it's maybe not normal for a conversation, but like this is a passion of mine. It's a little off the wall or whatever. It's just some it could be anything you're passionate about. Interesting. Well, I will say the one thing I got is that CC can touch on. I want, I need to talk to him about it privately, maybe over text. I'm, I'm becoming a pretty big shoe guy. So oh, I'm getting there oh, on my career. Nice. That's, that been, that's been kind of my, not new. I've always liked shoes, but now I'm like trying to, you know, step up my game a little bit. So a, I'll probably send you the mock-up for next year's cleats. You can help me with some design oof, on that. Oof. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. We've got a, what the Nike does this thing called the what the, so the, what the dunk, the, what the yeah. blazer, whatever. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out a way to do a, what the cleat for me Ooh. next year, which I'm pretty excited about. That'd be That's- fire. And you know, I'm always, I'm always checking out your cleats and your shoes and always commenting on your Instagram and stuff. They're but- doing all right. Yeah, you he's been he's been he's his, his shoe collection is getting there. It's yeah. It's, uh, yeah. My, my road cleats this year are the Samba Dunks. That was like yes. the inspiration for them. And it was pretty cool because I actually used the same leather from the Sambas. So it has like this weird sheen to it. So I was I'm pretty fired up about those. I seen year. when I seen those, those are fire. So yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't need me helping you with your mock-ups, bro. <laughs> just show me the completion of the picture. Just send me the picture when it's done. Z just wants to see for his own entertainment. Man. We're talking about doing Grateful Dead fur on them Ooh. and all sorts of stuff. Like, wow. we've got, so they want to use the Safari Dunk, the Samba, the Grateful Dead, and the Ben and Jerry's, and find a way to like. Oh, that'd be crazy. Mix it all in, but I'm trying to figure out how to do it in our team colors, too. I don't want all sorts of weird colors. Nah, you should do weird colors, though. Like, I think that's what makes it dope. Just do one pair of the weird colors. You've got to be a certain way to pull that off. And I'm, you know, this skinny kid from Kentucky, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You got anything anything special coming for the playoff run? Um, No, Nike Nike helped me out and put a, a different bottom on my cleat and that's been a huge thing for me they i love their new cleat but i think it is a position player cleat and i had some struggles with it because my my foot sits weird on the rubber and it's a two-piece thing and whatever it's kind of all that shit but <laughs> i got a new i got a new bottom on and i've they're probably my favorite cleats i've ever worn now well walker when you um when you get the design uh, for next season. You come back on R2C2 to pump it, all right? Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we are all about it, man. Walker, it, it's been awesome co- talking with you, man. You're a super interesting dude, obviously ridiculously smart and, uh, and you know, otherworldly when it comes to your talent. So I always, I love when we get to have these conversations because we become fans of you even more so, you know? So now it's like, 
hey, I get to watch your starts with a little added incentive. Speak for yourself, cuz. I'll set my alarm to watch your start <laughs> last night. I've been a fan since day one. Oh, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's true, Walker. From literally from day I can, one. I can I'm remember. You. You, guys, you guys don't have to prove this to me. Cece, go and check your Instagram. 2018. I DM'd you. Appreciate you talking about me on your podcast. Wow, <laughs> really? I have evidence. I swear to God. Maybe I deleted it. I don't know, but I did send a message at one point like, hey, we'd love to pick your brain, whatever. Heard you said something about me on your podcast. So nice. I do remember well, that. That was before I was running that, that Instagram. So thank you. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> see, see, you got to go in your DMs and I search go check Walker it. Bueller <laughs> and see, see, see if you can find that. That's amazing. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. It's true. I remember him coming on right after. And boy, See can pick them because you have been every bit the, the the incredible pitcher that C saw that first start he watched. Walker, good luck uh, the rest of the season, man. Good luck with the shoe design. And um, I'm curious to see how the superstitions evolve as you get into October now that you've bagged them. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, good luck, man. Bro. We appreciate it, man. See you guys. Well, see, I really thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Walker. I, I could talk to that guy all day. He was an interesting dude. Yeah, he was, man. We definitely got to get him back on, man. I want to get, like, the Vandy guys on, whether it's Sonny yeah. and DP and Pedro and, you know, so many different guys that, you know, I know and played with that went to Vandy. Um, and they're all the same, man. They're all super cool. They're all, you know, super smart, interesting um, guys that, you know, have a lot of interest off the field, too. I mean, they, they can speak baseball. You know, baseball IQ is super high, but, you know, have have interesting lives off the field, too. So I would love to do, like, a Vandy pod, even though I didn't go there. It'd be fun. That'd be awesome, man. We could go down there, man, check it out in Tennessee, have a little round table, you know? I mean, sounds like a great way to make sure that everybody in Nashville subscribes to R2C2. Speaking of... We have new episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well, like we have with Drew Robinson this week. If you haven't heard that episode, make sure you go back and listen to it. Um, and uh, we look forward to next week. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Big thanks to our outstanding producers, Bobby Wagner, Jonathan Kerma stepping in, doing a nice job today, and Sadie Zillow, as always. Uh, we will see you guys next week. So long, everybody. <laughs>